Hello and welcome to TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran. Over the past decade or so, cancer treatment has gone from a one-size-fits-all approach to a targeted and personal approach, thanks in part to the efforts of today's guest, Dr. Sunil Sharma. Dr. Sharma is Deputy Director of TGen Clinical Sciences, Professor and Division Director in the Applied Cancer Research and Drug Discovery Division. Dr. Sharma is a well-known cancer investigator, responsible for helping develop some of the world's most advanced anti-cancer agents. At TGen, he pursues drug development and patient clinical trials in concert with City of Hope in California and TGen's clinical partnership with the Honor Health Research Institute. Whether in the clinic or at the bench, he's working to help bring precision medicine solutions to patients in need. Dr. Sunil Sharma, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad to be here. You're an MD. You see patients. But you have this other half to your professional life that involves research and drug development. Talk about that. I decided to pursue a career in uh, cancer medicine or cancer treatment, mostly motivated by the idea that large amounts of uh, discoveries would be made in the next decades. And this is, of course, a few decades ago. I was sort of prescient in that way. But I always wanted to integrate the research knowledge that had been uh, sort of curated over the many decades with the patient care in cancer research or in cancer clinics. Because, frankly, uh, when I started in the area of oncology, most of the treatments were pretty much chemotherapy based, and there wasn't an ability to really harness the knowledge that individuals' tumor differences or individuals themselves were bringing to the table in direct patient care. And what has happened is that over the last two decades in my career, we've been able to, in many different ways, bring to bear the genetic knowledge of the tumors as well as genetic knowledge of the patients themselves in improving their health and their survival. My uh, initial idea of integrating research and patient care has come true, and I continue to pursue that path in the hopes of making contributions to help our patients who are suffering. Does the fact that you see patients, um, you see their struggles and their victories, does that help motivate and inspire the research component of your career? That motivates me every day because, as you can imagine, Mark, sometimes it's difficult to deal with constant failure. And I don't call that a failure in in, an, in sort of a light way because even the patients who are uh, not able to beat cancer, we're able to help them in many different ways to deal with their cancer, with palliative care and other things, but their struggles inspire me every day to do better. So uh, I think it's an incredibly important component from sort of the inspiration point of view, but it also uh, gives me an ability to really see where the unmet clinical needs are of these patients and then tailor that unmet clinical need and match that up with all the fantastic research that's going on here at TGen as well as City of Hope. Do you find, given the advances in technology that you mentioned a moment ago, that patients themselves have a better knowledge of their own cancer than they did, say, 20 years ago? Yes, absolutely. I mean, not only technology that we're bringing to bear, meaning genetic technology or even um, other kinds of medical device technologies, but mostly the information technology revolution that has sort of permeated our lives 
I think um, patients, by and large, have a lot of uh, information at their disposal. I think what we're, what we're noticing now is the ability to to be able to curate information in a in a more sort of a reasonable way. In other words, there's so much information available that it's almost overwhelming. So we've started from a point where almost no information was available to patients. Now there is, you know, as you can imagine, uh, incredible troves of information, but how does one actually make that uh, information more comprehensible, relevant, and that's, you know, partly our our uh, new focus of research that we'll talk about. Do you find that sometimes patients almost know too much for their own good, or can that ever be a problem? No, that is not a problem. I think I welcome, actually, the patients and families who uh, do extensive research, both uh, in terms of, you know, internet research as well as talking to different kinds of people in their lives and are, are quite well armed. Uh, in fact, a more informed um, family and a patient is, is really much more easily able to understand the kind of curation of the information that we, we are sort of charged as medical practitioners. I think the medicine has changed so much that it's also become, in, in fact, quite technology-based, both in terms of the actual drugs and delivery systems, but also from information systems. So I think what we're witnessing is also a sea change in how information is processed, absorbed, uh, transmitted. And and I would I would sort of say at this uh, at, at the current point, if you know if you were on a one to hundred scale of perfect information curation and delivery and communication, we're probably at a twenty stage. You know, we have most of that uh, work ahead of us. But patients can work with you more as partners now and come alongside the doctor to help with their own cancer treatment. I think um, what has happened is we've, you know, moved quite far away from the paternalistic model of medicine, which was that, you know, the doctors knows, doctor knows the best and that, you know, patients are just sort of going to follow direction, which was actually not the right model in any case because we were missing a lot of feedback from the patients about, you know, their feelings, how they're doing, and, and that needs to be sort of put into the mixture. So we are in a very uh, interesting partnership mode for the last 10 or 20 years. That partnership mode uh, still has gaps, and we can talk about those gaps, but but uh, it's frankly much more partnership kind of a partner mode at the, at the moment than it was, you know, even 10 years ago. We're visiting with Dr. Sunil Sharma on TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran. Let's talk about your drug development efforts. What does it take to develop a new cancer-fighting agent? What steps are involved? In order to develop a new drug from scratch, which is uh, what our laboratory effort does in many cases, uh, and you know the same goes for other efforts around the world, whether they're in pharmaceutical companies or other academic institutions, involves um, a very fairly complicated process of uh, of actually. Uh, in these days, going after a particular set of um, targets, we call them, or, 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 you know, sort of, if you think about as darts on a dartboard, you know, you basically are identifying uh, an area on the dartboard that we want to target. And then, and the analogy is, you know, how do you sort of make a dart actually go to that particular area on the dartboard? Um, and that involves a lot of new techniques, both genetic, biochemical, proteomics, and all sorts of things that go around in our lab. Eventually, we build a drug from the scratch in a 
computer screen, then actually synthesize it and then test it to see if it hits the dart, you know, it hits the dartboard where we want it to. And from then on, there's a complicated process to get it through the FDA's regulatory process to put it in clinical trials and patients. So this process can take up to seven to 10 years, and we are ever more interested in shortening that uh, timeline because, our, of course, our patients cannot wait seven to 10 years for us to develop new drugs. Why is that approval process so long? Uh, it's primarily because uh, there is always a risk calculation in this, right? So you you actually do want to help patients, but at the, at the same time, you don't want to harm them by actually putting things in their bodies or anybody's body that might actually not work or cause damage. So it's primarily meant for uh, two two things. One is you it takes a little bit of time to to really you know, figure out how to have the dart hit the dartboard precisely. But even once that's done, that's what we call a possible drug. Then we also have to do the safety studies to make sure that it would be relatively safe when we give it to our patients. Where are we with significant darts, sticking with that analogy, to treat certain cancers? What are some of the highlights that stick out to you that are close to being able to be used on on humans and cancer? Oh gosh, that's, uh, I mean, it's just an unbelievable last five to 10 years. Every month we are getting, you know, three to five drugs approved for cancer. This is unprecedented. Even when I got into the field, I had some vague idea about how science would change oncology. It's completely revolutionized it. I mean, every day we're hearing and we are dealing with, you know, new drugs to the point where most oncologists cannot actually keep up with the number of drugs that have been approved for specific you know, areas of the dartboard, if you keep up with that analogy. So I think for patients, it's a really, it's a welcome news. Um, picking a cancer, um, a lung cancer, for instance, you know, about 10 years ago, there was, you know, two or three different chemotherapies. Now, currently, if a patient is diagnosed with advanced lung cancer, there's at least 15 to 20 uh, drug therapies, including immune therapies that are approved. And patients' outcomes are reflecting that where they're living longer, healthier lives, even if they have advanced disease. Of course, you know, part of the equation is can we find these patients in, in earlier stages? And that's another area of revolution that's coming where we hopefully would be able to in the future find these cancers much earlier so we wouldn't have to, you know, essentially use 20 drugs on patients once they have advanced disease. Dr. Sharma, you're also focused on immune oncology. What is that and uh, what's your involvement? Immune oncology is really the biggest revolution in the last three to five years. Uh, for a long time, we knew that the immune system does a very good job of fighting microbial infections. So for instance, you know, if you get, a, if you get the flu, you don't want to get the flu, but the immune system, for the most part, will be able to harness its power to get rid of the flu virus eventually. You might feel not that great for a week, but you don't die from the flu. And um, immune system has the ability to recognize cancer cells, but the cancer cells are different from a flu virus in the sense that they, they are, because a flu virus is a true foreign invader, cancer cells are actually uh, transformed normal cells from your own body. It's just difficult for our immune system to tell the difference between a cancer cell and a normal cell, where it can quite effectively tell the difference between a viral virus and the virus being there and not being there, right? So <clears throat> how can we train our immune system to fight cancer? So the biggest revolution for which the Nobel Prize was awarded last year to a group here in the U.S. and, and, and from Japan, the idea that we can 
can now have technologies that can actually harness our immune system to go after the cancer. So in this case, drugs actually help our immune system recognize the cancer. So we've had a quite a concerted effort in the last five years to use different strategies to make that uh, make this immune system recognition of cancer even better. So we're quite involved. We've uh, developed not only drug therapies, but here at TGEN, we're developing with Dr. Alton a uh, full platform in which we can teach our own uh, immune cells, take our immune cells from the patient, teach them outside their body to recognize their own cancer, and then we're going to infuse them back. And we're very excited about that program. Sounds absolutely fascinating. Futuristic almost. Somewhat Star Trek-y, isn't it? <laughs> Speaking about futuristic, talk about your plans to build genome-directed avatars for patient care. Back to our initial discussion about um, how patients can be partners and how we have to treat the whole patient. So um, genomic medicine has really advanced quite a bit these days when the patient comes to the clinic. Most physicians have access to high-level genomic data, which is getting better and better on their tumors, as well as their own body, meaning that, uh, you know, have they inherited a cancer-causing gene, etc. But that only defines a part of the uh, future of, of uh, treatment of cancers. So, for instance, one, two patients could have the same exact genetic mutation or change in their tumor, but they might be in completely different situations clinically, meaning one patient might be 85 years old, the other patient might be 20 years old. They may even have uh, different kinds of organ function, their diff- ability to navigate um their uh, their environment. So what we're doing uh, here at TGen is we're building an integrated, what we call a virtual self um, that is not just the genetic of your tumor, that is not just the genetic of your own makeup of your own body, but actually captures this uh, whole you. And uh, in the future, the idea would be that uh, on in a virtual world, you would be able to meet meet your your likes of you uh, from the five thousand or ten thousand people who have come before you. So, in other words, imagine a virtual self, not just the way you play video games, but uh, but the virtual self of you. Uh, you could really even seek those people out from a community. Of course, in terms of health privacy, you wouldn't know who those people are, but. But their people who have gone before you in that virtual world would be able to aggregate with you and provide you with their experiences in a completely anonymous way that you could look at different, for instance, treatment choices uh, based on you know your own clinical and your genetic situation. You could actually look at people who have gone before you and how they have done in their life and their treatments so you could make some more informed decisions. So this would be characterized as you entering a virtual world where you can seek out your own community and see, you know, if you're a 100% match, or you'll probably likely be more like an 85, 90% match. You could change some parts of your expectations, for instance, in this virtual world. Hey, I want to have, you know, X or Y or Z treatment. How does that affect my outcome? That's just one of the questions we could ask. Your doctors could ask, uh, patients could theoretically interact in this virtual world and kind of observe uh, 
ask questions in this virtual world, interact with this virtual world. So that we're very uh, we're very excited about this, and we're we're building it, of course, here as well at City of Hope. Patients really are much more involved in their treatment um, when you hear you talk about the avatars. They would be once we build those A, B, but I mean, regardless of the avatar, the future is a very transparent, interactive, patient-involved, patient-centered not only treatment, but a prevention paradigm where doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and patients would be on the same bus. A bold new world indeed. Very fascinating. Dr. Sunil Sharma, thank you very much for being here today. Thanks, Mark. Dr. Sunil Sharma is Deputy Director at TGen Clinical Sciences, Professor and Division Director in the Applied Cancer Research and Drug Discovery Division. To learn more about his work, and the rest of the work at TGen, visit tgen.org slash tgentalks. TGen is a subsidiary of City of Hope. This is TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran.